0: Hey guys, and welcome to Cash the Mind, Clearing the Mind One Couch Talk at a Time. On today's episode of Season 2, Episode 14, I've got Phil Anderson, former professional Australian cyclist, joining me today in conversation around the topic of second gear. How's it going, Matt? Yeah, good, Jaden. It's uh, it's great to have a chat. Again, really appreciate you, you know, giving up some time to, to go through this topic, and and I'm sure a lot of people will get much out of what you have to say today.
1: Well, thank you. It's, uh, you know, I'm um, happy to spread the love and, uh, you know, give some of my uh, experiences and, and we can put it in some kind of context of, um, you know, what,
0: uh, what life is all about. That's it, mate, brilliant. So I guess where I want to start this, this interview is your upbringing. So you were, you're originally from London, but then moved to Melbourne, Australia. Uh, when you were quite young, how come you you made the move?
1: Uh, yes, my uh, mother and father uh, separated and divorced when I was very young, um, you know, less than one year old. So I came back with my older sister; uh, she's a couple of years older, and my mother back to Australia. My mum was Australian, so you know she was um, she was actually yeah. a dancer, a ballet dancer, and she was in Europe and and uh, fell in love and had this uh, relationship and got married and had my sister and myself. Um, But yeah, after a few years, they found it didn't work out. And um, so my mother retreated back to her homelands, to Adelaide, actually. And um, so I came back with them. I have no memories of that. Um, You know, my mother never really spoke about, um, you know, my father um, at all, you know, just, uh, just a part of her life she never really discussed, but uh, we got plenty of love from my mother. And and um, but it wasn't long until she uh, uh, met another man, or a few years, and um, and uh, she remarried. And so uh, my stepfather became he, he brought me up as a, as a father, I guess you'd say. And um, you know we went to uh, my sister and I went through. Good schools in, uh, we moved to Melbourne, went to good, good schools and um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, grew up in Melbourne, sub- suburban Melbourne. Um, I was a reasonable athlete. Um, I mean, I used to do everything that all kids do, play footy, cricket, uh, you know, do the swim sports, athletics in summer. Um, but I, I'd seem to excel in endurance sports. Uh, you know, running and uh, swimming was okay. And so by the time I got to um, you know, to 14, you know, I was already like one of the best runners, the cross country runners, distance runners um, in the school I went to in Melbourne. And uh, you know, I was enjoying that and um, you know, I kept going through school. Wasn't a fantastic, I wasn't great academically I'd always, I'd be sort of like getting C's and D's and you know, subjects which I really was passionate about. I might get a B or uh, an A would be an exception, but, um, you know, so I wasn't great at school, um, but I was uh, So I was sort of aiming to go into uh, graphic art or uh, commercial art um, of some kind when I left school. Uh, back then, now it's, you go to university to do that, but back then it was... Uh, you go to a tech school, uh, do commercial art. Um, yeah, see, I was I was, I was reasonably good, at, you know, in that sort of direction. Um, but me, that was at school. But uh, when I was 16, I saw a bike race. I didn't know anything about bike racing. I um, I didn't have any family in the sport. I didn't know any cyclists. I didn't. I'd never even seen a bike race. And so, uh, one day. But I did like riding my bike. I just had like a three-speed. And I was um, riding on a Saturday afternoon with a mate and we um, not far from where I lived. And I lived reasonably close to the city of, of Melbourne and in Kew. Um, in and we were down Kew Boulevard. And we saw a bike race. Um, we just happened to be there and there was this bike race on. And uh, that really excited me. And, um, you know, I was curious, I asked the guy that was on the corner, you know, with the flags sort or of the marshal, um, yeah, sure. you know, what, what, what's going on? What's his bike racing caper? And he explained a little bit, you know, in Melbourne, you know, there was like maybe eight or 10 clubs and there's track racing and road racing. And, um, you know, there's, there's BMX as well, which is pretty popular at the time. Um, uh, and he said, if you want to find out more, go to the local bike shop, you know they're affiliated with the Hawthorne Club, which is close to where I live. So um, I went down there to the to the uh, to the shop and and spoke to the guy behind the counter and he gave me a brochure and so before I knew it I'd not only seen a bike race but I'd signed up to a club. And um, yeah and so then it was a matter of putting together a bike and uh, you know learning as much as I can about this this sport. Um, you know, but I didn't have any Grandiose dreams of you know riding anywhere outside of Melbourne or even the club, <laughs> it, was just, it was just exciting to see that bike race that time. And, um, yeah, it'd be great to be able to ride, uh, you know, in, in, in closed roads and and um, race like that. But, yeah, yeah, you know, when you read, yeah, about a lot of the very successful Australian cyclists like, um, you know, Cadell Evans or mm-hmm. before him or before me, you know, Mockridge and. So Hubert Opperman and these guys, the first time they got on their bike, they were just kicking everybody's ass from day one. But for me, it was nothing like that. So, um, you know, it took me, uh, you know, three or four years before I'd really started developing as a, as a mm. you know, potential rider, not even at a professional level. I mean. The next Commonwealth Games actually got a gold medal, uh, you know, there every four yeah. years, so that was that was uh, 19,
0: 1978 at age 19,
1: is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, so it was only a few years later, you know, obviously, ridden, sort of risen, um, you know, risen reasonably well, uh, but yeah, that wasn't. I mean, the Commonwealth Games is not like, uh, you know, at the, the height of, of the sport, you know, because while well, yeah. there's some great cycles but in the Commonwealth, you know, I really had to go to Europe and to, um, you know, join the the ranks of, of uh, you know, the French and the Italians and that sort of culture, um, you know. I must, I must, from-
0: yeah, I must say as well that it's it's really it's quite refreshing to hear from someone who's who's done so well in his professional career that you had to work really hard to get to where you were. Um, You weren't, you were saying you you didn't get on your bike. You know, you, you didn't, you weren't brought up in a family of cyclists and you didn't get on the bike for the first time and you were absolutely whipping people's asses or anything. You had to, you know, you had to work really hard for it. And it comes, goes back to that idea of if, if you've got a passion for something and you want something bad enough, the more work you put into it, you'll, you'll, you know, the more of a chance you'll be able to achieve whatever you want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, no, a much higher
1: percentage of chance. I mean, it's not, you know, you can just bury yourself trying and trying and trying. You will improve, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you're the best, but you will improve a lot. And, you know, you normally in the beginning, uh, you know, the improvement is the greatest, you know, but, uh, you know, when you get up to the to the top end, you know, 1% is a whole, whole lot, a whole bunch, uh, you know, they talk a about whole bunch, 1% yeah. as well. When you get to the very, the very top of anything, um, you know, to improve, it becomes more and more, more and more of a challenge. But you know, that was the pathway I, I took, and and it is different now in contemporary times. There's, you know, there's sort of a Victorian Institute of Sport. You know, it doesn't matter what the sport is. Uh, you know, it can be athletics, or it can be um, boxing or sailing. Mm. You know, there's a different pathway. There was none of that back then. There was no. Australian Institute of Sport or anything like that. For me, I had to do a sort of start off with the club and then get into the Victorian team and then try and, you know, do all these selection races to try and get in the Australian team. And then I went to the Commonwealth Games, um, did well there, and then I came back and then, um, you know, somebody was interested in, in placing me in a club in, in France. And so that was a real lucky break, you know? Um, yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's different now. Certainly not easy, It's not harder. It's just it's different pathways um, uh, riders uh, take uh, now.
0: I also saw um, saw an article online saying that in 1980, um, when you were being sponsored by Peugeot, um, after um, this is when you went going professional, of course. Um, after your first two races and your first uh, first oh, sorry, after winning your first two races in your first season, um, you decided to move to Belgium. Um, and apparently you stated that uh, whilst living in belgium it actually hardened you up as a professional athlete and it became a part of your makeup um, do you want to maybe explain why that may be the case
1: um yeah look when we watch when we watch uh or you think of images of bike racing you possibly think of you know what uh, most people see on the televisions in july when it's sunny weather and it's fantastic conditions and and, uh, you know, when you're there, it's just the smell of, you know, coconut oil and, you know. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, and you, and you see the, the, you know, the, the accolades that the riders are getting and the speed and everything like that, that, um, you know, the riders are traveling in the mountains and it's, um, you know, it's, it's picture perfect. Um, but there's a lot of work that uh, it takes for, for a, you know, a cyclist to get to that level. Um, and it takes uh, a lot of training and, you know, you have to be, you have to be, um, you know, hard. you have to be pretty hard to be able to uh, get to that level. And that means, you know, riding in all sorts of conditions, all sorts of temperatures, weather, snow, ice, um, you know, very, very challenging uh, conditions. And, uh, you know, it'd be very easy to quit and give up and, you know, Pack your suitcase and come back to Australia. Yeah. Um, but but living in Balsam, I found that the um, the people were very friendly there. The weather was wasn't um, wasn't all that good, uh, but I believe um, you know going out day after day in the rain and terrible conditions that did that what did become part of my makeup. And uh, you know in a difficult race, uh, if it's raining half the riders at least half the riders are already defeated they'll be standing on the start line all they want to do is get off
0: so, just, so because, of, just figured, because of the uh yeah. just just because of the conditions is that correct
1: yeah just because of the conditions yeah. and um you know i i uh you know i thought well if there's 200 guys standing there i know the worst thing going to come is is 99th because after <laughs> out, even, though, even yeah. though they're standing there i swear you go you know, 10 kilometers down the road and a lot of them have already turned around. Uh, You know, it's different in tours and multi-day races, but in single-day races, um, you know, in multi-day races, if if you don't finish that day, you can't start the next day. So you can't just pull out like that. But um, yeah, so anyway, I just, um, you know, it did become part of my character was, uh, you know, Yeah, just a hard bastard, just being able to uh, withstand those terrible conditions. And, you know, when you're going along on a a, uh, bike race and you've got hundreds of guys around you and you're just riding, it's it's just like a river. You know, the water's just coming off the wheel in front of you, just going straight in your face. And, uh, you know, quite often you're out in the country and there's, you know, there's cow shit and everything just get sprayed in your face. (laughs) It's (laughs) kind of a bit of a torture. Bit of a torture, I guess, you uh, know, <laughs> when you think of it. Um, yeah, a bit of washboarding going on, but <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, if you can, you know, endure those uh, tough times, which, you know, which I trained in, I trained in, in that uh, tough weather, those tough conditions, and, um,
0: you know, Belgium was good for that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I guess, uh, where did you... You know, could you stating that you need to be, you know, you, you became a bit of a tough, a hard bastard through these conditions in Belgium, but what made you, you know, turn the page to be able to change your mindset and and be able to work through the the uh, tougher environments and, um, you know, situations versus what you would have been like at the start?
1: Um, well, I... I... I was fortunate because, you know, I turned pro in 80 and then 81, I did my first tour to France and I got the yellow jersey. So I had a taste of the success that, that, uh, that you, can, you can get, you know. I was, I was very lucky that not, not many people get that opportunity, especially early in their careers. There's something about, you know, uh, athletes that uh, make that journey, that commitment.
0: Um, you're, to- you're, pretty much, you're, kind of, you're kind of stuck on your own demise, to, to get through the tougher times and to, to continue to motivate your own self rather than have others help you get through, you know, harder times and situations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you have to be self-motivated, but, you know, I've seen the sort of, you know, the rainbow, um, you know, early on in my career. And maybe if I didn't, maybe, you know, I wouldn't have been so eager and so, you um, you know, so inspired to, to uh, keep pushing on and striving.
0: So and I guess, um, and uh, going back to, you know, when, when in eight, 1981 and 1982, when, you know, you were the first non-European uh, to, to wear the, the yellow jersey of Tour de France. First of all, for those listening in um, who, who might, you know, be aware of what the, yellow, the um, significance of the yellow jersey is, would you mind just going into a bit of detail with regards to that? And I guess after that, I wouldn't mind asking you how you felt, you know, especially at such a young age, um, wearing the yellow jersey.
1: Yeah, the yellow jersey signifies, it's, it's a um, representative of the, of the rider that has got to uh, that particular point in the race, like in the Tour de France. Uh, in the shortest amount of time. So if it's on day one, if you win the first stage, uh, we well, automatically get the yellow jersey on the first stage. Okay, but then the next day there might be two riders in front, like there might be a minute up the road, so the jersey will, will shift to that rider, the rider that's you know that's that's um, you know done it um, so many minutes shorter than anybody else. So yeah, and, and, and that time is a cumulative the um through the through the event so every day that is recalculated and so the rider the next day will wear that jersey the rider that's done it in the uh, shortest amount of time but i still finished 10th in my first tour so still a good result um absolutely brilliant uh,
0: mate especially at the you know especially at your age i think was 19
1: uh yeah i was was like 21 or 22 by this time i
0: Absolutely
1: incredible, young, yeah. Young, um, yeah, but um, yeah, the next year came back and and uh won a stage in North which is you know over in the in the sort of northeast of France, and um, you know, got the yellow jersey and had had the yellow jersey, you know, pretty much all the way three quarters of the way around the. Uh, France, back to the Pyrenees again, and I lost it there and ended up coming fifth. But, um, you know, it's good. I must have had the jersey for like 10, 11 days, which was great, you know, because the yellow jersey gets a lot of attention and, and uh, you know, people just go crazy. This kid from Australia, you know, comes out and, and um, you know, knocks the French or the Italians. I mean, even though I was Australian, I mean, they didn't even know where Australia was. You know, when sure. I first got, a year before when I... Um, you know, first got the yellow Jersey, uh, you know, they couldn't believe it that uh, some kid from
0: a country like Australia would could get the yellow Jersey. And going back to the idea of, of, you know, becoming this hard boss and before all your big races, especially with Tour de France, how did you prepare mentally for such big events? And, and you know, when you actually did very well, like for example, in your second year of the France, um, in 1982, when you're starting that, you came fifth. Um, you know, to continue to achieve so highly after that, did you feel like there was a bit of pressure, additional pressure um, added onto that?
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I would just put pressure on myself and, and um, uh, you know, I mean, in hindsight, it's easy to look back and go, well, you know, could I have achieve? a win you know if I had better support or a better team or whatever but um uh you know I think you know I think uh you know I'd rock up every year to the tour <coughs> to the tour de France especially those first five years you know thinking I could I could uh win it you know lead a team and give it a good crack.
0: So what you're saying is, um, you know, in terms of pre- preparing yourself mentally for these big events, you just went off the fact that if you didn't leave up to expectation of what people um, had uh, pictured you as to be in, t- in terms of your, you know, hard, bastard attitude, that you, you felt like you were letting people down so you just continued to achieve highly and um, push yourself further and further.
1: Uh, yeah, I believe if you've, um, you know, physically trained, um, you know, done your best you can in the training, you know, you, you sort of map your map your year out and you know it comes down to mapping out the races, um, you know, your training and preparation for those events. So you come to the event you come to the event uh you know in the best condition possible and and, you know, there can only be one winner. So there's going to be, you know, if you've got 200 riders there, like I said, you're going to have 199 losers. <laughs> so so <laughs> it becomes, and you lose, you, you get used to losing. You lose all the time, you know, um, you know as a professional athlete, um, you know, especially when you've got, you know, so many moving parts and, and uh, so many possibilities of outcomes. It's not like, a tennis match, which comes down to two players, on the last day of the Tour de France, anything can still happen. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, you, you you get seasoned to take those knocks of not winning. You know, uh, on average, I possibly race maybe a hundred days a year. I mean, some years up. Oh yeah, racing. Yeah, some some of those years I was racing uh, 120 days in a year. So if you win ten of those races, you've had a very good year. You know, my best year I think I won 16 races, but I think I've had I had a season where I hadn't won one race. So you get um, you know you get you get seasoned of not winning. You know you can't win everything. <laughs> you, you can't win everything, and it, and, it, and it's been. Um, you know, I never said no to a win. You know, like uh, I think there are some riders now who possibly choose a, a very picky in about their wins and say, "Oh no, I won't even get out of the seat. These guys can win." You know, I've got bigger things to fry down down the street. Uh, you know, next week or two weeks later. But for me, it wasn't like that. If I saw a finishing flag. I gave you a good crack, you know, um, you know, sometimes I'd be helping a teammate, uh, which would be fine, but, um, you know, a, a win's a win, and I took everything I could, but, but yeah, you get used to not winning and, and, um, you know, it's not like the Olympics where you're racing only every four years. You know, for me, I get on the plane tonight, flying home after losing a race, and two days later, I'm back in another bloody big race. And oh, so yeah. I've got another opportunity. It can have some long periods of time when you don't win, you know, and it's not very nice when you're on a team and you're the leader and you haven't won and nobody on the team's won and you've got to go down to breakfast every day and you've got to keep the morale of the riders, you've got to lift the spirit, um, because yeah you know you, the, you, you, there are tough times um, you know that you go through and and success feeds success you know and then somebody one day somebody will win a race or you know on the team or I'll win or and then suddenly you know there'll be more spirit back in the in the um, in, in the in the team and yeah. um, you know suddenly you'll start winning again you know and everybody's the morale's there and the spirit's there and everybody's lifted and um, you know, everybody steps up, but yeah, it's being able to get through those periods as those, um, you know, those dry spells when you don't win. Like there are teams out there, you know, which go six months without winning races. It's, um, it's, it's very tough on those, um, you know, it's, it's very tough in those situations.
0: It's a, it's a great mindset that you've got there Phil, because you can probably apply it to to many other things in life in general. Like, you know, you, you work so hard for something and it might not be, especially in the situation that you're in with with cycling, but you've, you've got this dream job that you've, you've gone to universe, you've done a degree and you've, you've put all the hard yards in it and you get there and it's just, you know, it might not be what you're after or a couple of hurdles are thrown at your way and what you've got to realize is that without these, um, you know, hurdles, you don't actually grow as, a, grow as a person and, and you actually become better at whatever you're trying to to achieve through this. And, and I, I I'm, I'm sure for yourself, you know, through some of the hurdles that you've been faced with, and, you know, like you said, you, you, you race, you know, a hundred races in a year. And you said that if, you know, if, if you win 10, that that's a, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant, like, you know, reward back to yourself. And, um like if you're if you're losing 90 to be able to you know just quickly change your mindset and go you know what i've got i've got another race in three days time let's prepare for it let's let's do the best i can let's make sure i can try and win because i know i'm capable of winning that's an amazing amazing mindset to have and so many people can can surely take a lot out of that
1: yeah well i think um you know that's the way that the sport of cycling is, and um, you know, not everybody's afforded that opportunity, you know, to be able to front up again every three days or you know, four days or sometimes just day after day. So, um, you know, you, you have you know, races like the tour that go for three weeks, but you've got races which just go for a week or three or four days, and and um. You know, you might go into it as, as race favourite and then, you know, on the first day you have a bad day and you lose five minutes, you know. Um, you know, and you imagine me on the dinner table that night, you know, trying to front up to my teammates who have already travelled from all over the world to support me and, you know, I've got to sit there and and uh, try and be cheerful, but not too cheerful. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, it's just days, you know, there's nothing saying that we can't because, this, you know, that's that's overall. I've lost five minutes, so I can't win overall, but but we can still win stages. You know, it, it's still another four days to go. We can win those little stages. We're not gonna win overall, but you know, there are accolades in winning those those stages.
0: Yeah, there's certainly like in, you know, for your, for your instance, uh, much like what you're saying, you might not be able to win the entire race, but there are smaller goals that you can set um, which will ultimately make you feel that um, feeling of success. Um, you know, you feel like you've, you've been able to achieve something. But yeah. what I want to go into now is, is back in 1985 um, at Saint-Étienne, um, you, you crashed into um, fellow opposition rider um, Hino um, near the finishing line. Um, he blamed you for this incident. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is because um, in terms of, you know, the podcast, mental health and all that, uh, especially being in your 20s, um, you know, when, when, when you get blamed for something, sometimes it can, it can have a bit of an effect on you mentally, especially um, in your situation. You're, you're, you're a quite big cyclist and, you know, the news would get involved with it and um, they'd probably spin it and, and turn it into whatever they want to do. Um, did that have an effect on you mentally?
1: Um, not really. I mean, it's um, you know I didn't really know about the significance of it. You know, I think I got back to my hotel, and um, you know the journalists were already were already there waiting to to ask me about it, and they said that uh, you know this other writer had been a, you know blamed me for um, you know him falling off and breaking he broke his nose when he landed, you know. But <laughs> you know, I, I I personally knew that wasn't the case and and um you know I wasn't I wasn't really fussed with him, fussed fussed about it. Um you know I think uh uh there's possibly an advantage being non-European sometimes in that um you know I yeah, I didn't, I didn't read a lot of the press, you know, this is before the internet, of course, um, you know, so I didn't, you know, read all the reports the next day or, you know, watch the TV or that, or, you know, I wasn't really fussed about it, you know, I just had words within the next day and, and, um, you know, told them it wasn't intentional. I mean, I fell as well, you know, I fell over the top of another writer, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was, you um, poor, poor uh, sportsmanship for him to blame me for it because, you know, it was just a freakish accident and uh, a bunch of us came down and, and um, you know, he was in the yellow jersey, you know, and I wasn't really in, in contention for the jersey. You know, his teammate was Greg LeMond, the American, and so I think he was, I think, behind all this, you know, he, he just thought that, um, you know, that uh, he was going to, lose control or lose hold of the, um, of the yellow Jersey, you know, I wasn't really affected by, you know, what was written in the press. Um, I wasn't affected by that, you know, and, and I know, uh, people get affected by what they read about themselves in social media, whether it's, you know, publicly in the press or just, you know, on social media. Um, yeah, you know, I just didn't pay attention to that even, you know, yeah anyway there's, there's um yeah it doesn't bother me now and it never never really did you know how
0: do you how do you like but how do you because it's easy for you to say this but for someone who, who you know were to look at you know a comment on facebook or something and it's it's something that's quite negative um and it's targeted towards themselves um how, how do you actually like you know block off that you know, negative feedback, you know, you're saying that it never affected you at all, but how, how did you have that mindset where you kind of never took notice of that sort of stuff?
1: Uh, I think you just got to believe in yourself that you're a good person and, and you don't always make the right decision, but, you know, and I never intended to be a bad person to Bernardino who fell off. Um, you know, it wasn't intentional, and you know, you just got to, you know, if you do the right thing, and if you do the right things in life, um, you know, the choices aren't always the, the correct ones, but you're doing what you believe is 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 the right one. So exactly right. Um, you know, if you if you take responsibilities for those decisions, then um, you know, you've done it because you believe in it. So. You know, you just have to be a believer.
0: <laughs> no, you're exactly exactly right, mate. Like you can't you can't live the path of someone else's life. You're, you've got to you've got to do yourself justice and and do what you think is is right personally and and you know, no one's perfect, but it's about making our own problems rather than have someone else bring them on upon yourself. You know, you 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 go through your own journey and, and that's how you learn, and that's how you get to a stage where you don't really take notice of what other people have to say about you.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, if you're going into things knowing that you're going to have to regret it later, well, you wouldn't make that decision. <laughs> you're making the wrong decision to
0: start with. Yeah. So, exactly. And I'm, So in 1987, mate, um, you were awarded the, the Medal of Order in Australia. I mean, it's, you know, pretty much the one of the highest achievements you can get uh how did how did that make you feel knowing that I mean obviously you you have you know a lot of self-confidence in yourself and you you know that people you've got fans backing you and and all that sort of stuff but then to get such a high high such a prestigious award in Australia knowing that you know everyone's backing you everyone loves to see what you're doing and, and achieving how did that make you feel um,
1: no, it's, it's, it's nice to be acknowledged, uh, in those, um, you know, with these, uh, yeah, with these, with these things. And, and, you know, I was also in the hall of the sporting hall of fame, which is a, um, you know, which is a, a big thing as well. Uh, you know, for me, I just love riding my bike. You know, I would have done it for nothing. Like to get paid to, to, to race your bike, land in circles, all over the bloody world. It was, um, was fantastic. For me, it was like a fairy tale for me. You know, I mean, I remember that first race I saw around Q Boulevard in uh, Melbourne, you know, when I was 16. And to think that, you know, here now I'm 63, I'd be still banging around. what that kind of banging on about how that led to, you know, talking to you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, things uh, certainly fell my way off never taken it for granted, um, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, every day was, was better than the last. And yeah, you have, you, you fall over, you get up and, and, you know, you start, you know, realigning and, and, um, you know, changing goals and, and get up and, and uh, strive on, you know, it's just, um, you know, for me, it was, it was fantastic. I didn't do it for, I didn't do it for, you know, I, I, you know, AOMs or I didn't do it for supporting Hall of Fame uh, recognition or anything like that. You know, I did it because I was passionate about it. You know, and I feel very Mm -hmm. fortunate to have, have, you know, had a career of doing something that I was so passionate about, you know, that not many many people um, are in that
0: position. I think that uh, the passion that that one person has for something, it never dies off, you know. You might you might not put a lot, of, you know, as much time and effort into it, you know, down the track, you'll still always have it. But, you know, for yourself, like if, um, you know, for people listening in, if if someone had, um, you know, a passion for trying to strive towards something and, you know, try and get to that dream job or whatever it may be, you know, do you have any advice for them?
1: Yeah, for me, I mean, every year I'd set my goals, whereas an athlete you have to do that. You you're pretty disciplined, you know, you, you look at the season, the schedule and um, you set your goals and yeah, you sort of strive and you do what you, you take steps to reach those goals. Um, you have to uh, adjust your goals sometimes. And you, sometimes you have to do that mid race. Sometimes you have to do it mid season. And um, yeah, it's just a, a, a matter of, you know, lowering your, your expectation somewhat uh, and believe, okay, maybe we can you know finish in the top 10 this year or this week and you know we'll, we'll, when we get to the end of the race we'll figure out what we're going to do and how we can do better next week or next year or um or whatever
0: yeah and i guess the last question i want to say to you before we wrap this episode up is you know if you had your time again during your professional career what have you done what have you would you have done anything differently uh
1: i don't think so i think it's um you know, I believe in fate that, you know, it, it's turned out the way it has, uh, because what you've put into it. Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, for me, I was so excited to get where I did and, um, you know, to achieve what I did, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a sport which isn't really native to Australia. <clears throat> but um, no, certainly, no regrets, and and yeah, it would have been nice to win the Tour de France or win a world championship. But hey, I was
0: so happy to achieve. That's awesome, mate. Honestly, it's an honour to have you on the show for you know, you know, sharing your life story. It's, it's honestly, it's, you know, it's quite idolising to hear your journey of of you know, not particularly having you know like a the genetics of you know for cycling, but you worked really hard for it. And it's like the old story of if you work hard for, you know for something that you really enjoy doing, there's always a the potential for it to pay off. And, you know, for you, you've, you've lived your fantasy and it's paid off. So, again, mate, I really appreciate you taking up your time. No worries,
1: Jayden. It's a wonderful show you have and um, I look forward to hearing uh, a few of your podcasts.
0: Thanks, Bill. You have a great rest of the night and um, I'll catch you a bit later, mate.
1: No worries. Thank you.